You are listening to the weekly sermon from the Canton United Methodist Church in Canton, South Dakota. We're a church that strives to make disciples of Jesus Christ who make a difference. To learn more, visit us at cantonsdumc.org. And now, here's Pastor Clay. Hey friends, Pastor Clay here. This week, in conjunction with Celebrate Canton, the Canton Ministerial Association sponsored and presented a community-wide worship service in Jack Fox Park. As a part of worship, Pastor Kevin Schneider from Bethany Church here in Canton brought the message based on Deuteronomy 6. Pastor Kevin came to Bethany in October as their interim pastor, and I am thankful to count him as a colleague in ministry. Now let's give our attention to God's Word and Pastor Kevin's message. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Pastor Kevin, and uh, I've been part of Bethany Church uh, for about the past uh, six months, going on seven months, and so it is my privilege and honor to be able to come and share with you uh, this morning. I, I want to tell you just a little bit about me so that you have an idea of who you're listening to today and uh, the things that go on. I actually grew up in a, on a farm down by Akron, Iowa, and uh, moved away, and uh, 35 years later got to move back uh, to the farm, and uh, I pastored a church in Sioux Falls for many years, and you know, the amazing thing is, is that um, I kind of have a connection uh, with some, of, some people from Canton. I mean, not that I'm still mad about it, but back in the early 80s, I was a wrestler for Akron, and it was the finals of the wrestling tournament in Akron. It was the finals, and uh, I got beat by a kid from Canton. So, oh, yeah, woo! Uh, Wade Mirabel was his name. He beat me in the finals, and so, I, I mean, I'm not sore about it or anything. I, you know, not mad, but uh, that goes way back. And so, you know, another thing that you might want to know about me is that I love history. There's something about being able to look back and learn from the things that have happened. In fact, one of my favorite parts of history uh, is the Civil War. And in three weeks, here in Canton, there's going to be a reenactment of uh, some Civil War stuff. And so to uh, be a part of that and to see that and go to it uh, is amazing. In fact, I had an opportunity years ago to study at Gettysburg. And so I spent, uh, I spent a bunch of time on the battlefield walking around and and just looking and seeing and being reminded uh, of the things of history. Which then made me wonder this, how well do you know the history of Canton? Anybody lived in Canton their entire life? A few of you, you've been here your entire life. So I've got a couple questions here, a few questions that I wanna ask you about the history of Canton because because having only been here about seven months, I needed to know some of the history. So I've been studying this week on the history of Canton. So here's a question. Anybody know the first visitor uh, that, that was recorded, the first visitor to Canton? Anybody know his name? It wasn't Kevin Schneider either. I mean, the beard is white, but I'm not that old. His name was Lewis Hyde. Lewis Hyde. How about this? In 1861, we had our first person who came to this area and began to, to simply live here and to homestead this area. Anybody know his name? There we go. Thank you. 1861, anybody know the name of the first person who homesteaded this area? 
Nobody? His name was August Linderman. August Linderman's the first person to, to uh, put a homestead here in Canton. Here's a question. Anybody know where the name Canton came from? Yeah. Canton, China. Canton, China. That's right. The people who homestead in this area thought that they were exactly the opposite on, on the earth of Canton, China. So that's how Canton got its name. Uh, anybody know in 1868 there was a huge influx of migrants? Anybody want to take a guess where those migrants were from? Norway. They were the Norwegians, yes. Norwegians. Here you go, 1872, the first newspaper for Canton was put out. Anybody want to guess the name of the newspaper? Sioux Valley News. That's right. So the, the paper today has the same name as the first paper in 1872. Here you go, another thing. In the 1880, there was a big change that took place for Canton. Uh, anybody want to take a guess at what that was? What came to Canton in 1880 that changed uh, this community? The railroad. Yes, it was the railroad. It was called the Chicago, Milwaukee, St. Paul, and Pacific Railroad. It crossed the Big Sioux River, which was a big deal in 1880. Now, here you go. Anybody want to take a guess at a famous place here in town? The ski hill? Okay. How about a house? What's the mansion here in town? The Kennedy Mansion. How about the not-so-famous building here in town that many people are trying to forget? Yes, the Hiawatha Indian Asane Asylum that many people try to forget. And then one more question for you. How many churches are there in Canton? Eight. Close. Eight, a little more. Ten, a little more. Eleven. You guys are close. Everybody's kind of around it there. So eleven different churches uh, would call Canton home. Again, just some of our history of, of the town and the community of Canton. We are 3,000 plus people who call Canton home now. And so I wonder this, is history or the history of Canton, is it important? Does it make a difference if we know any of that? For many of us, we would say this, well, it's really not a matter of life and death, right? But there is something to knowing where we came from. There's something about knowing the past, something about knowing our history that I think is important for us. And in fact, that that fact that, uh, you know, that huge influx of Norwegians helps me under, understand again the, the background of, of who uh, many of us are, where we came from, and for those of us who call Canton home. But as I began to thinking about history, I also wondered this. Is it important for us as a community to understand the history of, of Scripture? Is it a big deal? Like we said in uh, the bulletin as we read through the prayer stuff and that confession, many of us said this. Uh, for many of us, when is uh, our faith important? Sunday mornings? Maybe Wednesday afternoons or Wednesday evenings. And whenever we ask God to rescue us, that becomes those moments when we say, man, I really need my faith. I need 
God to move. I need God to be active and a part of who I am. But I wondered this again as I began to think about this this week and thinking about history. Is what happens in the scriptures important? And so I landed as I was studying Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Today we're going to look at verses 4 through 12. And if you brought your Bible, I invite you to open it uh, with me and, and look along. Because honestly, this part of scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 6, it was written by a man by the name of Moses. And when Moses wrote this, he was, he was simply getting close to leading the people into the promised land. And he wrote these words as a reminder to the people that he was leading. Now understand this. When he wrote these words, these words will actually become some of the most important and sacred words to the Jewish people. But if you are if you are a Jewish person and you are a person of faith, you will you will recite these words three times a day, every day. Because for you, these words are life. And these words are your past and this connection that you have not only to Moses, but to, to God. So Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 12, it says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them to your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, Houses filled with, with all kinds of good things you did not provide. Wells you did not dig and vineyards you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. See, as I was reading that, and I was pondering that, there's that moment when you get to verse 12, and it says this, And when you are in the land, a land that is flourishing, a land that God has given you, a land of houses and wells and vineyards, and you've got food and shelter and everything that you need, make sure that you don't do one thing. And that is forget. Do not forget your God. And you know what? The amazing thing is, is if you read the Old Testament, you will discover that over and over and over, the people had a struggle. The people had a problem. And you know what that problem was? They forgot. They forgot. They forgot their God who had 
brought them out of the bonds of slavery and brought them into a land of plenty. But you see, the crazy thing is, is that we are in a land of plenty. When we are in this land of plenty, we have a tendency to forget. To forget the way that God has blessed. To forget the way that God has watched over. To forget the way that God has simply taken care of our community. We have a tendency to forget. And yet Moses writes, when you're in the midst of that, just do one thing. Don't forget. You know, the amazing thing is, you can go from Deuteronomy and you can read Joshua. Joshua, when they take the land... And you will find that by the end of one generation after Moses, after the end of Joshua's life, they've already begun to forget. And they begin to chase after the things of everybody else around them. All of these pagan religions, all these pagan thoughts, the people began to chase after them. Why? Because they forgot. And we look and we say, how is it possible that in one generation we could forget? In 1967, Ronald Reagan, in one of his speeches, he said this. He said, freedom, we are, we are one generation away from extinction when it comes to freedom. Think of what that means. We are one generation away from losing freedom. Why? Because we forget. We forget the cost and the price that was paid. And yet Moses says, when I bring you into the land of plenty, do not forget. Have you forgotten? I know the crazy thing is, is that when you're preaching to a bunch of people who go to church, for many of us would say, well, no, we haven't forgotten. Or if we had, we wouldn't be here. But yet I wonder how easy it is for us to forget. You know, I think the older I get, the more I forget. The easier it becomes to forget. And especially when we have all that we need. But the beauty, I think, of this section of Scripture is this. Even though Moses was, would write and say, the most important thing is to not forget this, I think that Moses lays out some thoughts for you and for me that will help us so that we do not forget. So that we stay focused on the things that are important, to make the main thing the main thing. And he begins by saying this, in chapter, or verse 4, he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, we read that, and we, we would think this. Well, that makes perfect sense. But you know what? That idea of God being one has divided the church many different times. Because people would say this, well, I just want you to know, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. I don't, I don't like that God of the Old Testament, so, so I'm going to forget the God of the Old Testament, and I'm simply going to be 
the follower of Jesus Christ. But you see, as soon as we do that, there's this moment where we forget. We forget this God of creation, this God who is willing to lead his people out of bondage, this God who so deeply cared about relationship that he would create us to be in relationship with him. And yet we say this, well, I, I don't know that I want that God. Or for some of us, we would say this, well, you know, yeah, I understand God the Father, the Creator. I, I like that. I like Jesus. But I tell you what, there's some people who take the Holy Spirit and they kind of have gone a little bit weird. And, and I just don't, I don't want to get into that. So I'm going to, to simply stay away from the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to be a person of the Word, of the God of the Bible. And like I say, did you know that there have been controversies from the very beginning of the church when the church has wrestled with this idea of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That God says, I am one. And then, you know, you could, again, if you know your history, you go back to the very beginning of Scripture. And we can go back to creation. And the beautiful thing is, is, that as you read the beginning, the history of how the world was created, guess who's all there at creation? The Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. All right there in the beginning. So for you and I to simply say that, well, I, I, I don't want that. I want some of this. I'm not too sure about that when it comes to God. I, I'm not sure that, that we have the right to pick and choose. I'm not sure God is pleased when we say, well, I'll take that, but I don't want that. I don't want a God of justice, but I'll take a God of grace every day. Or I want a God of love, but I don't want a God that's going to hold me accountable. And yet Moses would write, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So the first thing that I think that God would say to us today is don't lose sight of who he is. As we gather together this community of faith today, whether Lutheran or Wesleyan or Reformed, don't lose sight of who God is. But then he says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then he says this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. See, the next thing that I think that God desires for us is that we would love him. <laughs> and doesn't that seem crazy that we have to be reminded of that? That we say today as we gather together to worship, one of the most important things we can do, number one, is to, to realize who God is, but then to say this, to love God. To love God. He invites us into this relationship so that we might be in love with Him as He is in love with us. And so love the Lord your God with your heart, with your soul, and with your strength. You see, I'm not sure that there's any part of us in the midst of that where we would say, well, I can keep this part of my life for myself. 
God, you can have all of this, but this part right here is mine. And I, I will do and choose to do with this section of my life, whatever it is that I choose to do. Uh, I'm not sure that's what scripture says. And yet I think that for many of us, we have fallen into this idea that if I give God Sunday morning, Wednesday nights, a few prayer times in the midst of the week, then I've done all that I need to do. But when he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, there comes this point where you go, wait a minute. That's everything. That's all of me. I sometimes feel that we've done this, that God was supposed to be the central part of our lives, that God was in the middle, in the middle, and we look up to God and we worship God and we love God and we celebrate God, and He was the central part of everything that we did. But somehow, at some point, we've done this. We've said, Jesus, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to move you right over here, and then we've gone and we've assumed the center part. Because you see, for many of us in our lives, everything flows from us. We've got things like work. We've got family. We've got our jobs. We've got our leisure activities. We've got vacations. We've got bills to pay. And, 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 and then we just simply said, Hey God, is it alright if I, I'm just going to slide you right in here between job and family and, and I'm going to give you this spot right here God and it's going to be all yours and Jesus you can have this spot right here but, but all of this stuff, this is stuff I have to take care of but when we read this, Moses says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and strength. God never desired to be moved out of the central position and for us to assume that position. Because guess what? When we assume the central position and we simply say, God, come follow me all the way around there. I'll, I'll let you be a part of us. When we do that, we've done exactly what all of the people in the history as we read the Bible have done. They simply assumed that God would be okay with being part instead of the whole. And maybe today you come here and you you might begin to look at your life and you might begin to think about the things and, and the history of your life and, and you're going to discover that you kind of moved God out. And it was so easy. It just, it just kind of happened that you moved God out. And you say, God, I still love you. Don't, I, I do. But, but I need that central part and scripture says, no, hold on. That's not how the game is played. That's not how this relationship works. If you are to love me with your whole heart, mind, and strength, then God says, I must be in the middle. So, God says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And then he says this, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. And then I think he, he gives us some words that we should really take to heart today. And he says this, impress them 
on your children. Impress them on your children. I want you to think what that means. You see, in their day, one of the struggles that they had was that they began to chase the things of the world. And the things of the world became more important. And, and understand this, they didn't have schools like we have. You see, their schools took place at the synagogue, which was uh, similar to our church, the church. And so they were brought up having this idea of faith, of, of knowing about God. But one of the things that, that, that Moses says is this, I want God to be so a part of your life that you will talk about it when you sit at home, when you walk, walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. See, there isn't supposed to be any moment in our life that is not centered around God. And so he says then, impress them on your children. So at their school, they would learn the scriptures. They would study the scriptures. In our culture, we've done a good job of doing this. I think we need to take the scriptures out. Because when we teach our kids, you know what? We're going to teach them about reading and writing and arithmetic. And the scriptures have no place. And when we do that, we simply fail to follow what God has on us. So impress them on your children. You see, I think one of the greatest things that we can give to our children is faith. To bring them up in faith. To bring them up being able to say this, I don't know the time in my life when God has not been central to it. You know, we, we live in a culture now, though, that says this, I'm going to let my kids grow up and they can decide if they want. I'm not going to force them to go to church. I'm not going to force them to read the Bible. I'm not going to force them to do anything. And so I'm just going to allow them to do whatever and, and we'll see where we end up. That's a dangerous game to play. It's a dangerous idea for the church. It's a dangerous idea for the community. It's a dangerous idea for your family. To simply trust that it will just happen. Moses says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to realize God is one. I want you to love God, but I want you to impress it upon your children so that they simply know this is our history and this is our story. And they too will fall in love with God just the same way that you have. I had an opportunity this year to go up and, and celebrate in uh, March up at the Denny. Uh, the Denny Sanford Premier Center to watch Canton win their fifth state title in a row in wrestling. And so I got to cheer them on. I got to be a part of that. And, and you know, one of the things that, that I will say is that, that Canton has some pretty rabid fans when it comes to wrestling. They like their wrestling. 
And I enjoyed it. I fit right in because I'm a wrestler as well. And so I fit right in and, and I was able to be a part of that. And, and, and I see that and I wonder that. But I wonder this, is that what we want Canton to be known for? Is that what we say that we, we would say? If Canton is known for anything, it's known for its wrestling history and the wrestling teams and the young men and young gals that we produce out on the mat who simply have the ability and the talent and they give everything to be their very best and to continue the tradition and the history that we have. Is that what is most important to us? Or maybe your thing is football. Or maybe it's the rodeo. Uh, fill in the blank. What is it that drives you? What is it 